Thanks, Parker. Good morning, guys. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see everyone this morning. Uh, we, like Parker said, we're just a couple weeks into our Naturally Supernatural series, and I, uh, just like Parker said, the life groups are awesome. I hope everyone can join a, a life group, even if you can just go for like one of the weeks. Please do that um, anytime over the next five weeks. Um, also, make sure you grab a devotional, a daily devotional that goes along with this series. They're out in the lobby if you haven't grabbed one. Um, and that's just a, an awesome way to, like, every day dive into the topics that we're talking about in this series. Um, just to recap, Parker introduced the series, uh, the themes, and the topics a couple weeks ago. And then Debbie shared last week. And it's, it's been awesome so far. And this past week in our devotionals, we've been on the topic, Practicing the Presence. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, I love the content that Kathy wrote for us this week. I don't know if anybody's gone through it, but it's really, really good. Um, we're made for the supernatural. As Christians, uh, it's supposed to be our natural, actually. There's never supposed to be, it's never supposed to be separated from our lives. Our lives are spaces where heaven and earth consistently overlap. And that's like the place where heaven and earth consistently overlap is in our lives. And why? And it's, under, it, it's important to understand that we as, God, as God's people, we're living temples. The Bible calls us living temples. It's, we're the dwelling place of God. He, Jesus has taken residency in our hearts, and the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in our lives. And, and through faith, we, we understand this, and we walk this out in relationship. We can actually know God. He speaks to us. He can speak through us. Our lives are supposed to walk in step in relationship with Him, and I want to focus on that this morning. Practicing the presence, uh, and I want to talk about this from a couple different angles and then bring it back to some of the themes that were in our devotional uh, this past week. So let me just pray real quick. Everybody just kind of focus in on the Lord and quiet our minds. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are the best Father. And you give us the best gift. And Father, we thank you for the gift of your present, the gift of the Holy Spirit, your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, who's actually in this place right now, is bringing life to every one of us. Holy Spirit, we invite your tangible presence here this morning. We ask for more. We want to be transformed from the inside out. We want to be filled with your love and power until we're overflowing with it. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done and the, the gift that you've given us. Let our minds and our hearts receive fresh this morning, fresh revelation, fresh understanding into the fullness of what you've done, Jesus. You said that it was better that you leave so that you could send the Holy Spirit, and we want to understand what that means. Let that sink in. Let the truth of your words be our reality this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the past few weeks, um, and actually more than that, a few months, I've been thinking of this, this idea of revivals and this idea of awakenings and moves and movements of God. It's been on my mind. And, and first with, with the new movie, Jesus Revolution, um, which I highly recommend. Has anybody seen that? Raise your hand if you've seen Jesus Revolution. Awesome. If you haven't seen it, I, I go see it. All right. I don't know if it's still in the theaters or not, but find a way, watch it. Uh, the movie is about the Jesus People movement in the 70s and 80s. And, and specifically, it's about uh, what God did in the lives and the families and the friendships between three men in California, Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel, Lonnie Frisbee uh, 
and Greg Laurie, if you know any of those names, um, and what God did in their lives and their families. And these men were radically changed by Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they opened their churches and they baptized thousands and thousands of hippies and ended up pastoring thousands and thousands of people over the years. And it's, it's a powerful depiction of what happened in their lives. And, and along with that, I've also been thinking about uh, this, this special move that God's been doing at Asbury College, if anybody's heard of that. For those who don't know, Asbury is a Christian college in Kentucky, and God has been moving on the student body and the staff there powerfully in his presence and repentance and, and worship. God's awakened a deep desire, from what I understand, in the students there for 24-7 night and day worship. And a lot of believers from all over the world have actually come to experience what's happening in Kentucky. It's pretty cool. Um, we've been praying, um, as long as I can remember, for moves of God to happen at Miami and the transformation of Oxford. And we're continuing to pray for that, right? Um, we want to see heaven on earth in this place. And, and then all of that with the series that we've been, you know, naturally supernatural series that we've been thinking about, um, has me thinking about what the inheritance of the vineyard is as a movement and what we have here in this place. And before I dive into all that, I want to look at some scripture. So everybody pull out your Bibles if you have them. And it'll be on, this, uh, the, on their devices or on the screen here. We're going to turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. So just some background on Ezekiel. Ezekiel and his wife um, were among 10,000 Jews taken captive to Babylon. And for 22 years, um, from about 593 to 571 BC, um, Ezekiel was both a prophet and a priest. And because of his priestly background, his time in the temple, he was, he was really interested in the, and familiar with the temple details. So God used him to write much about them in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel uses visions, prophecies, parables, signs, and symbols to proclaim and dramatize the message of God to his exiled people. And, it, it, and it's easy when we, get, <laughs> when we jump into Ezekiel, it's pretty easy to get pretty confused right away when you open the book. The book begins with maybe the most complex prophetic commission. Um, in the Old Testament. Chapter 1 immediately begin, launches us into a vision filled with strange things such as human-like animal-like creatures, these huge creatures with eyes all over, wheels within wheels, um, fluttering wings that sound like an army. It's pretty bizarre. Uh, it's kind of a psychedelic vision, if you think about it. Like, it's pretty wild. Um, and if that's not enough to stump you, in chapters 2 and 3, they recount how Ezekiel is commanded to eat, actually eat a scroll. Like to eat and devour and ingest a scroll as part of his prophetic calling. And so we read early on in, in this book about Israel's idolatry and the violence that they're doing. And God warns his people in the first third of the book, we read that the stuff has actually risen so much in Israel um, that it's actually compelling God to leave his own temple. The bad stuff that they're doing, the violence, the, the idolatry is, is actually causing God to leave his own temple. And the only thing left for these rebellious people and the surrounding pagan nations was divine judgment. And so our priest turned prophet sends, spends another five years speaking and acting out oracles of judgments. Chapters 1 through 32 are filled with a lot of doom and gloom, if you read them. They're not really low-hanging fruit for heartwarming devotions, but they're worth reading for sure just like all the Bible, but the fall of Jerusalem 
And chapter 3 is accompanied by a major shift in Ezekiel's ministry. He's now to proclaim a message of hope and restoration and renewal. So chapters 34 on are essentially the gospel according to Ezekiel. If we understand, if Jesus is our center and we read chapters 34 on, they're, they're like the gospel according to Ezekiel. And it's magnificent. Ezekiel leaves no stone unturned. He, declare, he declares God's future plan of restoration. He promises to bring God's people out of anarchy and captivity and to give them a new kind of heart and to give them an everlasting covenant that will never end in a new kind of temple to bring out an abundant outpouring um, of, and blessing that comes from his presence, that when God indwells among men into this r- figure of a river pouring out from beneath the temple door and spreading life and fertility wherever its waters come. And that's what we're picking up here. Um, many times in, in the Bible, water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself uses water as an analogy of the Spirit by saying, whoever believes in him, living waters will flow out. So chapter 47, we're starting in verse 1. Zeke is in his sixth vision at this point. And, and, he, and this glowing man messenger thing is, is showing him a prophetic vision, a prophetic picture of the future. And this is how he, Zeke explains what he's seeing. It says, The man took me back to the door of the temple. I saw water flowing from under the entrance of the temple towards the east. The temple faced the east. And the water was flowing under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. And then he led me through the north gate and around to the outer east gate. The water was flowing down the south side of the gate. So in this vision, he sees this this temple of God, this dwelling place, and a spring of water bubbles up out and begins to flow like a river towards the east. And so picking up in three, with a measuring line in his hand, the man went eastward. He measured off 1,500 feet, that led me through the water, and the water came up to my ankles. And then he measured another 1,500 feet and led me through the water, and the water came up to my knees. And he measured another 1,500 feet and led me through the water, and it came up to my waist. And then he measured another 1,500 feet, and the water had risen so much that it became a river which I couldn't cross. And the river was too deep to cross except by swimming. And then he asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Okay, so close your eyes and imagine this. Son of men, daughters of men, imagine this. Do you see this? This river that's flowing out, and this water is rising. The level is rising. And then the man led me back along the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw many trees on both sides of the river. And the man said to me, This water flows through the land to the east and down to the Jordan Valley and into the Dead Sea. When the water flows to the Dead Sea, it will replace the salt water there with fresh water. Whenever the river flows, there will be many fish and animals. Bye, Tony. (laughs) The river will make the water in the Dead Sea fresh. Wherever the river flows, it will bring life. Wherever the river flows, it will bring life. In another translation, it says, "Where, where the river flows, everything will live. From Engedi to Eglam, people will be standing on the shore of the sea with fishing nets spread out. As many kinds of fish will be there as there are in the Mediterranean Sea. But the water in the swamps and the marshes won't become fresh. It will remain salty. All kinds of fruit trees will grow on both sides of the river. Their leaves won't wither. They won't fail to produce fruit each month. They will produce fresh fruit because this water flows from the holy place. 
The fruit will be good food and the leaves will be used for healing. We see similar pictures in Zechariah 4 and Revelation 22. This is a beautiful picture of the presence of God, the Spirit of God flowing from the dwelling place of God. We want to be people of his presence. We want to be people seeking after his presence, people who go after his presence, who jump in that river. We want to be people who jump in that river. And if we want to immerse ourselves in the river of God's presence and his Spirit, there are three questions I think that are important for us to ask about through this text. The first is, where does the river come from? What is its source? The second question is, where is the river headed? Where is it going? What's its destination? And the third question is, is will we jump in when it's over our head? Where's the river coming from? Where is it going? And will we jump in when it's over our head? The first question, where does the river come from? The river began in the temple from the south of the altar. Another translation says it's from under the altar. What's the altar? The altar in the temple is the place of sacrifice. What's the place of sacrifice? It's the cross of Jesus Christ, ultimately. There can't be any outpouring, there can't be any river, no revival without the cross. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he was pierced on his side, and blood and water flowed out of him. That blood is signifying the forgiveness of sins, and the water speaks of this, this river, this, this giving of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gave his life so that we could have life. He sent his Spirit to fill us and fill the whole earth, that that life would flow out of us like living waters, like a river of living water. So if you don't know Jesus, if you've never experienced that life, if you don't, if you don't understand what we're talking about, and you want to, if, it, if it's something that you're interested in, if it's something that's tugging at your heart, at the end of today's message, we want to make space for you to experience that. We want to pray with you, we want to pray for you. The second question is, where is the river going? The Spirit's given from the Father and the Son, and it goes somewhere, right? It goes somewhere. The river is going out to the Dead Sea. If you know what the Dead Sea is, it's the saltiest sea. Like, there's nothing living in the Dead Sea. In fact, if you go swimming in there, you just float. No matter how big you are, no matter, you know, like, no matter how much weight you have, you're not going to sink. You're going to float on top of that. It's, there's deadness out there. In our lives, to give us new life, the Holy Spirit flows into the dead spaces in our life. And it flows out into the world where the dead places are to bring life to the nations. It says that the, where the river flows, everything will live. Everything will live. The river is going out into the world. It's going out there, okay? And the mistake that we've made in the church a lot of times is that when there's a move of the Spirit is that we think that the final destination of the Holy Spirit is the church. We think it's like going to come and stay here and like hang out here. And yeah, the Holy Spirit loves to hang out with us. He loves us, but he's, he's on a mission. He's a missionary spirit. He's going somewhere. He's going, un, it's under something. When the Spirit comes to the church, it's en route to the world. He comes here to gather and heal and transform and empower us that we would flow out in the river. We'd go with him into the world. Where he goes, there's going to be many fish. Where the river goes, it makes salty waters fresh. Where the river flows, everything will live. And it's, it's about being out there in the world with the Holy Spirit doing what he's doing. God is a missionary God. He's an evangelistic God. He wants us to join his mission. 
that we would feed the hungry, that we would clothe the naked, that we would give shelter to the wanderer, that we would stand for justice and speak out against injustice and in the mess of the world out there. That we would proclaim the gospel with word and with deed, with love and with signs and wonders. And the answer to the third question is, if we know where the river comes from and where it's going, we can jump into the waters when it's above our head. But it requires our own kind of sacrifice. It requires losing control sometimes, right? You got to flow where the river is flowing. I don't know if anybody's swam in a, a powerful river before. It can be dangerous, right? <laughs> there, it's current. It's moving, right? The Holy Spirit can be dangerous. He's good, right? He's not going to hurt us. But we can go with him. We can trust him. But we have to be willing to lose control and repent and change our mindsets and go and, you know, line up with the way that he's going. And so, you know, it's, it's fun. It's easy to get in the water when it's like at our, at our ankles, right? And splash around in it. And, and you know, and, get, and it's fun when it's up to our knees and we can have a big splash and splash each other and, and then when it's up to our waist, it's kind of like, oh, am I in? Am I out? You know, if it's cold water, like if you've ever been in water that's up there, you're like slowly going in. But when you have to jump in, when it's over your head, you got to fully jump in, right? You have to commit to that idea. And so we have to commit to that idea. There's been an awesome outpouring of the presence of God, like I said, at Asbury. And I've been watching it online and have a number of friends and acquaintances who have gone out to experience what God's been doing in the lives of people at that school and it's been nonstop worship and prayer for a handful of weeks now. And I don't know what the future of that looks like for them, but I'm praying that it continues and similar things happen in college campuses all over the nation. And we can look at something like that and feel the urge to go to such a place to experience something. And I'm not saying that anyone who goes there is wrong. If you want to go there or if you have gone there, uh, that's awesome. Do that. If that's something in your heart, go do that. I, I encourage that. When the power and the presence of God shows up, it attracts people, right? They show up. The power and the presence of God attracts us. We want to go with what's happening. And it's, it's interesting to me that, that that's had a, such a large pool that thousands of Christians from all over the world have been traveling and waiting in line to get into the little chapel there on campus. It's, it's awesome. This past week, we've had, uh, had a regional gathering of vineyard pastors and leaders and Colerain, and I was talking with someone who had gone out to Asbury, and they said this to me. My wife and I love what we experienced there. We were so excited about it and what God is doing in the lives of the people there. On the ride home, we came up with this analogy to give words to how we felt. In no way do we mean this in arrogance, but in all humility and thankfulness to God. It seems for us, growing up in our faith, being in the vineyard, it's like living in the Alps. So if you know, like the Swiss Alps, beautiful, right? And valleys, beautiful mountains and valleys, beautiful ranges, lush valleys. And going to Asbury was like going to the Smoky Mountains to them. But we were there with people who had never seen mountains before. We were so excited to experience that with people who had never experienced before, despite what our norm has been. I love that the goodness of God and the kindness of God is bringing people to repentance and bringing them to the place where they want to worship him and be in his presence 24-7. I love that. Um, in the vineyard, God has moved powerfully, and, and because of our spiritual history and our lineage, we can expect the same and more as our birthright. I believe that. We can expect the same and more as our birthright. I want to show an old video 
of John Wimber speaking at a Vineyard Power and Presence conference about this whole thing, how this whole thing began. So it's like a 12-minute video. Go ahead and play that. This foment, this dynamic, this power encounter created a foundation for the preaching of the gospel. It made an opening, it made a way for the preaching of the gospel, as it is with much supernatural phenomena. Many times when God does something of this nature, in, and by that I mean something in, in the supernatural realm that really doesn't have any uh, direct bearing to healing or direct bearing even, in this case, to salvation, he does these kinds of things as a platform for the preaching of the gospel. And Peter, believe me, if Peter had not gotten up in the 14th verse and preached the gospel that he preached, there would have been no converts that day. We must have the coupling of the transrational with the rational, the supernatural with the natural, the power evangelism with the program evangelism. We have to have a presentation of the gospel, but we also have to have presence of Almighty God working with us. And it is that that I'm speaking to, and it's that that I'm calling you to account with this week, that we recognize that there's an encounter going on, people. There's an antagonism antagonism today against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but more importantly, there's an antagonism against his personhood, against his presence. And when the presence of God comes into your sanctuary and into your life, you will find that you have antagonism, that you are frightened and put off and bewildered and upset, perplexed and vexed against the very God that you've been inviting to come for years and move among you. The first time that the Lord Jesus Christ sent his spirit in great power among us, I was fit to be tied for days. I was so angry. I was so upset. I wanted to get out of the ministry. I said, no way am I going to put up with Why, that's absurd what God did. <laughs> of course, I wasn't absolutely sure it was God. But even after I was convinced it was God, I had difficulty with it. And I want you to know that. When God began moving among us, and not, this particular night, we were having a church service, and, and in fact, that, that Sunday afternoon, I, I was coming out of the, the church service. It was Mother's Day of all days, Mother's Day. You'd, you'd think you'd be safe in church on Mother's Day. Well, I'm, I'm walking out of the church, and, and the God says to me, tell that young man to preach tonight. Well, I'm not in the habit of just telling any old young man to preach in my church, and I said, and particularly that young man, because I'd heard he was a little strange, and I said, Lord, you want me to have him preach? And the Lord said very clearly to me, yes. So I went up to him and I said, Lonnie, <laughs> would you like to preach tonight in my church? He said, oh, yeah, I've been waiting for the chance. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I'm telling you, I died a thousand deaths all afternoon. All afternoon, I agonized. I said, oh, God, you got me into it again. You got me into a mess. He's going to mess my church up. And the Lord said, when did it become your church? I said, oh, that's right, that's right, okay. So I went to church that night, and I, <laughs> we worshipped extra long. I found a lot of announcements that needed to be made. But I, I, and as long as I stretched it, it was still time. And so he's sitting there all bright and alert like a kid at his birthday party. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, he looks harmless enough. All right, come on up. So he comes up and he starts speaking. And I sit down over to the side. And, uh, and I'm listening to him. And, and it's great. You know, I mean, it's, I'm thinking, what was I worried about? He goes, 
funny. He's giving his testimony, and, and there's pathos in it, you know, and they're weep a little bit, and you, you know, and, he, and you, you know, salute a couple times, and, he, and he's telling you some great verses, and you're laughing, and just having a wonderful time. I'm thinking, what was I worried about? This is great. You know, God, you're so good. And then he does the weirdest thing I've ever even heard of. <laughs> Everything's going good, you know, and all of a sudden he stops, and he says, well, that's it. He said, you know, the church has been offending the Holy Spirit a long time, and uh, he's, he's quenched, but he's getting over it, and we're going to invite him to come and minister now. Come, Holy Spirit, and whammo! <laughs> the Spirit of God comes! And people start fighting. Well, first of all, he says, everybody 25 years and under come forward. Well, in our church, that's everybody, you know. <laughs> you know, they're all coming up there. And there's hundreds of them up all crowded around the stage, and he says, come, Holy Spirit. And the next thing I know, people are falling and bouncing in there, and they're laying on the floor, and they're talking like turkey guys. <laughs> and one kid, he falls. <laughs> one kid, he falls, and the microphone falls with him, you know, and it's laying right in front of his face. And he's speaking in tongues, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about two minutes. I'm talking about 45 minutes he's talking through that microphone. And we're wading through bodies, you know, trying to get over to him. And we can't get the microphone off, and we can't get to him. And Lonnie is going like a banshee. You know, he's running through the crowd and raising his hands. And, you know, and I'm thinking he's pushing people over. He's knocking them down. But he's not even touching them. He's walking by them, and they're going wham, wham, you know, and falling everywhere. And I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, get me out of here. And people are grabbing their Bibles, and they're going, not me. I'm not. And they're going out the door. Some of them I never have seen. That was four years ago, you know, that they went out the door. Well, I want to tell you something. When it, when it finally stopped, when it finally stopped, Man, did I get it, you know. I started, all the staff was upset and uptight. You know, they, they didn't tell you the half of it. When, when Sam was mentioning that earlier today, he didn't tell you the whole story. Everybody was pretty uptight. Well, I went home, and I tried to be civil, you know, I was polite, well, thank you very much, and I, for, for ministering. <laughs> so, I get home, you know, and I, and I try to go to sleep. I, I can't sleep. I get up, and I, I go from... Genesis to Revelation, you know, and I'm looking for Holy Spirit, come, you know. <laughs> wham, wham, you know. <laughs> it's not in the book, man. It's not. I'm upset, man. And I, you know, now it's 4.30 in the morning. And I've, you know, I've, all over and over, I did find a few verses where people fell down. That helped me a little bit. But I couldn't find anything that was just like that. And so I'm sitting there and I'm saying, oh, God, you've got to do something for me. You know, I, I, this is terrible what's happened here. You've got to do something for me. And suddenly it, it connected that I remembered reading something in the journal of Wesley where something like this had happened. And so I went out of my garage and I had a big box of books on re revivalists at different times, you know, revival histories as well as revivalists. And I got them out and brought them in the house and I started, and sure enough, some things like that happened with Whitfield. Some things like that happened with Wesley. I found it in the Cane Ridge Revival. And then I began going back and forth in, through church history. And, I, and about 6 o'clock in the morning, I'd found at least 10 different times when this kind of phenomena had occurred. Not exactly, not Holy Spirit come wham, but things like that. <laughs> you know, things where people shook and fell, people fell and this sort of thing. 
So I was feeling a little bit better. Now it's 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'm saying, God, if this is you, I've got to have some assurance. I've got to know, is this you? Is this something you're doing or not? Just then the phone rings, and it's my friend Tommy Stein from Denver. Now, Tommy wasn't in the habit of calling me uh, all that often in those days, but he would call up every couple months, or I would call him. Hey, hey, what's going on, man? You know, what's happening? Did you have a good day at your church? Oh, Tom, let me tell you about it, man. You know, this guy, Lonnie. Oh, Lonnie, I know Lonnie. Yeah, he used to be, oh, yeah, I remember him. Wham, right? Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, look, man, this is what he did to me. He came in, he talked a little while, and he said, oh, it's coming. coming. People fell down, and people left my church. My staff's mad at me, and I'm not sure what's going on. My wife's happy as anything. She liked it all. <laughs> and he says, it's the Lord. I said, it's the Lord? He said, yeah, it's the Lord, man. It's just, that's exactly what happened to us in the early days of the Jesus People Revival. The same kind of power, the same kind of manifestation. In fact, as we talked, the Spirit of God began gripping his heart, and he began repenting of some hardness that he had towards just this kind of phenomena because he'd sort of grown away from it and become too sophisticated for it. And so I felt a great deal of assurance because God had given me a witness a credible witness that had called someone that had been there, someone that had seen it from the inside out. I'd only heard about it. I'd lived here in the community, but I wasn't aware of the totality of the Jesus People movement until much after the movement had already began declining. That'll come as news to some of you. But <laughs> the Jesus People movement's over. It's a new day now, and God's doing some new things. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I, I recognized in, in, that, in that communication that, that I was in for a, a, an interesting time. Well, over the next few weeks and months, the phenomena continued to occur, uh, often unrehearsed, often without any kind of leading from us. It would just happen in places. Uh, our young people began roaming the community in packs. We would see them sometimes in parking lots and in front of houses, raising their hands and praying for people, and wham, they would go. And over the, <laughs> that was in May, by, the, by September, we had baptized over 700 new converts. Evangelism was occurring everywhere. That was not, those were the ones we baptized. The best we can figure, there may have been as many as 1,700 new converts in that three-and-a-half-month period. But the ones that we baptized, the ones that came toward us as, as, uh, and became involved in the fellowship, was approximately 700. God was on the move. I had never seen evangelism like that. I had never known that there was that kind of power. The problem was I didn't have any grid to sort it with. Nothing I had ever been taught in my educational background helped me to understand Holy Spirit come whammo and how that related to evangelism, how power and power signs and power activities could bring about conversion in the lives of individuals. But as I uh, began dialoguing with people, and keep in mind I do have some training as a sociologist, and so I'm used to measuring phenomena and, 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 uh, and looking at things from that perspective. And as I began dialoguing with various people that were visiting and uh, that had been ministered to during that period of time, I, I found there was a commonality, that regardless of what the, the uh, phenomena was, whether they were slain in the spirit or rested in the spirit or fell and shook or stood and shook or sat and shook, uh, whether they shook violently or mildly, whether they had a, 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 an experience that was somewhat catatonic or whether they had some other kind of experience, there was a commonality of acceptance of the experience. No one I ever talked to that had had an experience was sorry. They all uniformly responded with, it was wonderful. 
I feel closer to God as a result of it. I love the Lord more as a result of it. I'm reading the Bible more now. I'm praying more now. I'm sharing more now. I'm more involved in the church and I'm more in love with the Lord than I've ever been as a result of that experience. That's a pretty cool story um, about the beginning of the Vineyard Movement and how the Holy Spirit mo moved. And um, If you don't know, if you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution film or know anything about that guy, Lonnie Frisbee, he was swimming in, swimming in the river. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what he was about. And um, he wasn't perfect, but he was, he was swimming in the river. And he, he, he knew where it was coming from and where it was going. And uh, it shook up and it dislodged the dead things in John Wimber and in that church. And when John jumped in the river, he followed it. And he brought the vineyard with him. And, and so here's the thing. We don't want to be arrogant in the vineyard. We don't want to pretend we have something that we don't. Uh, but we want to, you know, practicing the presence, being naturally supernatural, flowing in the river, it's supposed to be our norm. It's, it's supposed to be our norm. and um, We're not perfect, um, but it's part of our DNA. It's part of our heritage. And John Wimber and the early Vineyard Church leaders built a philosophy of ministry and church focused on equipping the saints to be outward, outwardly focused with this idea that the Holy Spirit empowers us, comes upon us, fills us, with these kind of experiences, um, with living waters overflowing out of us onto something, to go out and take it out there, right? And we don't want to pretend, like I said, we don't want to pretend like we have something that we don't. We, we want to continually thank the Lord for what he's doing and ask him for more. And ask him, how can we partner with what you're doing, God? We want to continue walking out in obedience, taking risks for the kingdom, even when we might look silly. Um, we never want to grow spiritually complacent. It's good to hunger and thirst for more. Never stop asking. Keep asking. Don't pretend you have something you don't, but remind yourself of the goodness of God and get into the streams of his presence. Continually. I love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 42. I long to drink of you, O God, drinking deeply from the streams of your pleasure, flowing from your presence. My longings overwhelm me for more of you. My soul thirsts, pants like a deer for the living God. I want to come see the face of God. That's the heart cry that we have. Earlier this morning, uh, my son, he's three years old, the last two Sundays has had a hard time going in the nursery for some reason. And he's like clinging on to me and he's like, I love you, I don't want to be apart from you. Like that's what I want to be like with the presence of God. Like I don't want to be apart from you. I want to hold on to you. I want to go where you're going. I don't want to be in a different room than you. And that's what Jesus actually thinks about us. He doesn't want to be in a different room than us either. He wants to hold on to us. So the tension that we hold every time that we meet here, every time we minister to others out there, we expect God to show up. We expect his presence. We expect his spirit to move powerfully here and out there. And many times it does. And then sometimes we don't feel it and we don't see it with our eyes. We don't see what's happening and what God's doing, but we, ha we got a hunger and thirst for more. We have to hold those things in tension. When we see it and when we don't see it, we're going to stay in. We're going to continue to stay in and, and hold on to these things and hunger and thirst for more. We're not going to give up no matter what. We still pray. We sing with praise. We get before his face and ask for more. What I love about the vineyard is that we're real. 
We don't pretend to have something we don't. We, we know where the river, who the river is, where the river is going, where it's coming from, and we're not so afraid that we won't jump in water over our heads. And what we're really talking about is the, is the presence of the Holy Spirit filling us up, the Spirit transforming us from the inside out and following him where he's going and, and empowering us to go and bring the gospel and the power of the kingdom wherever we go. Because the Holy Spirit is God's presence in us. It's his manifest presence to us. My dad yesterday shared another psalm with me, Psalm 46, verse 4. It says, God has a constantly flowing river whose sparkling streams bring joy and delight to his people. His river flows through the city of God the Most High into his holy dwelling places. The plural in that dwelling places points to believers, you and I. Each believer, each one of us, is a dwelling place of God, and God's river flows to us and through us and out of us. The Holy Spirit, when he comes to us, is like these sparkling streams. He releases gifts. He, he himself is a gift For the, the Father, from the Father and Son. The Spirit releases fruit of the Spirit. He helps us love more and more and better. He gives us power to be witnesses. He helps us pray. He seals us. He ensures our identity. He enables us to call, call God Abba, to call God Father. He guides us and teaches us and reminds us of all truth. All these things are true about the Holy Spirit and what he does, and he does more. The number one thing that, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is that he immerses us in the love of God and reveals Jesus to us. That's what he loves to do best. The Spirit loves the Son and loves to make him known. All the manifestations, the power, the gifts, all of those experiences, all of those things come into alignment when we realize the Holy Spirit's focused on Jesus. And when we press into those things, manifestations of the Holy Spirit, like we will in the weeks to come, we're actually going to talk about different manifestations, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the weeks to come. We've got to remember that it's all about revealing Jesus, all about bringing the love of God everywhere we go. And if we lose that, what's happened, what, hap- what can happen is that we'll start flowing in the gifts, but they become like a harsh thing, uh, something that's not done with love. And we can get kind of, egotistical we can kind of like use the power of the holy spirit in negative ways and we don't want to do that at all we don't want to use we don't want to be any of this to be about our own self or our own might we never want to handle the gifts for our own promotion this is about the revelation of jesus and it's about immersing people in his love and bringing his presence and his kingdom into every area so being filled again and again is is what we're what we're doing here and what we want to do Revival is about God breathing us, bringing life into us again and being coming immersed in his presence again where we become transformed and empowered. A continual experience where we purposefully enter into it again and again. We jump into that water again and again. And it's all into something again. It's unto the healing of the nations. So all that's great and it's good. But how do we like make the practice of this in our lives? And this is where we want to, that space where the, the natural and the supernatural overlap in, in the boring parts of our lives. It's a practice that we have to become aware of the Spirit in the boring, mundane parts of our lives. And that's what Kathy wrote about a lot in this past week's devotional. Um, but it's about changing our worldview. It's about taking intentionality, being intentional to see and, and partner with the Holy Spirit and have relationship with the Holy Spirit. Natural, naturally supernatural is about having an ongoing relationship with Jesus and being filled with the Spirit, transformed, carrying his presence into every part, every aspect of life. Understanding that there's no separation 
There's no sacred and secular. They're, they're the same thing now in our lives. Everywhere we go, God's there. So to bring things around this morning, I want to share a simple tool. Kathy wrote in the devotionals this week about an amazing man named Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence lived in the 1600s, and according to Brother Lawrence, as a result of a profound spiritual experience that he had, he set out to cultivate a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him, having a conversation all day long with him, continually talking to God simply and directly and doing everything as an act of love for God sums up his entire program, like what he did. I believe that that's vital to our lives. It's, a, it's, a, it's vital to learn how to practice the presence of God, to have this continual conversation with God in everyday things, in the mundane. It's learning to recognize where the river's passing by us in the boring parts of our lives and learning to jump in so that we can go where the river's going. And so to wrap up the message this morning, I printed out a worksheet and hopefully everyone got one. If not, there's some, we can get more for you. This is just like a simple way to practice the presence of God. You don't need to do that right now. You don't need to like fill this out right now. But I just want you to look at it this week and, and fill it out this week. It's just a super simple tool to do that. Um, so yeah, to, to kind of conclude, we're going to go into worship. So worship team, if you guys want to come up. We're going to, as part of our worship, we're going to practice the presence of God together. And we're going to take communion together. So we have stations set up here. And we don't have a like prophetic communion this morning. We just have these stations up here. So during worship, go ahead and come up um, at your own your own time during worship and grab that and take it. Um, but I just want to remember that wherever we gather, right here, right now, He's with us, right? So this is part of jumping in that river. This is part of taking His presence and being part of His presence. And I said, as I said earlier in the message, if this is something new to you, if this is something you haven't heard before, if this is you know, you don't know Jesus, and you, you're interested, you want to know him. You want to experience his presence. You want to experience his spirit. Uh, we have prayer teams that are going to pray in the back and love to take communion with you and pray with you. So for those of you who are on the prayer teams, please go in the back there. And during worship, free, go, feel free to go back there and pray with them. So I'm just going to read here from Corinthians. This is Paul's talking about the Last Supper. He says, The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as, as often as you eat this bread and drink my cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's stand. Jesus, we thank you for your body and your blood given on the altar of sacrifice for all time. God, we thank you that you have brought us into your presence. You've made us your dwelling place, God. Thank you that we can come boldly before you without fear. Father, I thank you that we can trust you that you give us the best gift. I thank you for your everlasting covenant. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, your presence with us forever. So I just ask right now, Holy Spirit, move in this room. Have your way in our lives, God. Come and rest on specific people in this room. 
fill them up to overflowing again. We want all of you, God. We give ourselves, we jump in, even when it's over our head, God. We want to have the boldness to jump in the river of your presence, God, and flow with it where it's going. 